0: You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. So the question I want to discuss with you this evening is, how do we relate to our money uh, when we have less than we need and when we have more than we need? Fascinating to me that James ends this section uh, with a beatitude. Most commentators tell us that verse 12 belongs with what precedes rather than what follows Beatitude is the English word comes from the Latin for happiness. It's a blessing. What really brings happiness. So interesting to me that when James talks about this difficult subject of money, he wants to conclude it with an expression of happiness. Because money can be a cause of great unhappiness in our lives. But this is not God's motive. He wants for you and me to be happy, to be joyful, to be whole and fulfilled and satisfied in life. And so this is where it leads for James a beatitude. Another interesting thing about beatitudes, we learn from Jesus, James' brother, that they oftentimes involve a twist or a surprise. It's not what you expect. For example, when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, everyone scratches their head and go, what? How could that? And so likewise with this one, the blessing, the financial beatitude about which James is writing here is not intuitive, particularly not for those of us who live in 21st century America. I thought about what kind of beatitudes would we write, you know, if we, the way we tend to think about our money. This is the list that I came up with. Blessed are you when men give you grants and large scholarships, for you will graduate with less debt, right? Blessed are those with good credit, for they shall own their own homes and update their kitchens. Blessed are those who buy designer clothes, for they shall have lots of friends. That's the promise. Blessed are the business travels for, travelers, for they shall get points and fly first class. Blessed are the savers, for they shall retire on golf courses in warm places. Blessed are the well-insured, for they will live long and healthy lives. Blessed are those with high incomes, for they will drive luxury cars at high speeds. By the way, did you see the article in the New York Times uh, this week about a guy in Finland who got a speeding ticket, a wealthy businessman, I uh, got this speeding ticket and he was complaining about it and everyone in film said, oh my gosh, come on. Last year you made seven million dollars. Are you really going to complain about a speeding ticket? And he didn't dispute that he was in fact going 64 miles an hour in a 50 zone. Uh, but it was the size of the ticket that he got. You know what the fine was? $58,000. Whoa. So they, in Finland, they have this progressive systems that the fines depend on whether you're rich or you're poor. Because the, you know, the fixed amount of money doesn't mean the same thing to a wealthy person that it does to a poor person. And this is the insight, I think, that James is beginning to think about it. It, you know, it kind of depends how you think about money. So he's talking about if you're poor and then if, if you're rich. It's a trial for both of us, but the trial is different. Now, the pattern... Uh is the same. If you for extra credit, you might want to read down and look in verses fourteen and fifteen here. James gives his readers a model for temptation that applies broadly, uh, but it certainly applies specifically to the financial uh situation he just talked about. And here's the pattern. It's basically a template. And there are three steps to it. Uh first you have desire, and there's nothing wrong with desire, but then when you uh, uh from desire, if you make a poor choice, you end up with sin, that's the second step. And if you sit with sin long enough without seeking forgiveness, the result is death. And so that same progression is, is, is a relevant template for the poor and for the rich. They both have this as a trial. But the question for us who may be poor, may be rich, or anything in between, is what can we learn from the rich and the poor about financial happiness our money? Well, there are two lessons. And the first one is this, that the poor teach us we will never find significance in our money we look for it but we will never find significance in our money as a kid like most kids I assume I wanted to be somebody when I grew up and I thought that meant that I had to have money Because my parents had money, and everybody else that I knew who seemed to be somebody also had money. And the cultural images that were broadcast into my life said, if you have money, you are somebody. And I got confused equating those two things, thinking, therefore, that I could find significance in money. Now, those of you who've ever spent time around the truly poor realize that this is a false connection. That you can be absolutely poor and have a ton of dignity and significance in your life. Some of us just came back from Mexico, and we saw this, and it's a beautiful thing. But uh, for James, being poor—it's in itself—is not actually the trial. The trial—that's uh, that, just kind of the condition of, of poverty. Um, the trial comes when you take a desire and you like can't afford. What you desire, and then you you start to make a bad choice about that, a bad decision about that, and it becomes sort of who you are. Notice the language that James uses here. He doesn't say let the believer who is poor boast in being raised up, but in verse nine he says let the believer who is lowly boast in being raised up. Lowly can mean poor, but he uses the word that's related to the word for humiliation, it, because sometimes the poor take on that. We think of the poor as not just humble, but humiliated or shameful. We we ignore them. We don't honor them. And sometimes the poor will take that in. They'll begin to think of themselves, it's not just that I don't have resources, it's that I'm not significant in society's eyes, or even perhaps in God's eyes. We see this in the Old Testament, right? Job, wealthy man, a lot of significance there, and then all of a sudden, one day, it's all gone, and what do people start? They treat him like he's nothing, like he's a zero, and they start to blame it. Well, maybe you did something wrong, you know? And also now, all of a sudden, he's got a, not just a financial crisis, but a spiritual crisis, not just in Job, we see this in cultures today. In, in India, for example, uh, you know the the caste system, the untouchables, the Dalits. Uh, if you're there, it's because perhaps in a prior life you made some bad choice, and you really deserve what you get. And so, you know, you're poor. You're really less than a full human. You lack significance. This is the narrative, and the sin therefore becomes despair. Despair. My life doesn't matter. So here's our first lesson. Don't look to money for your significance. And if you want to know whether you tend to do that, think about how you react when you see someone who has a lot more money than you do. I know uh, my wife and I went down to the cut. We watched the races and then these big boats, the parade of boats go by yesterday. Oh my gosh, you know, my envy uh, uh, rating was off the charts. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I can't even afford... Uh, to put gas in one of those boats, much less you know buy one of those boats. And so I tend to feel depressed. So I go, well, these are the people that really seem to matter, and I've got nothing, or I am nothing compared to them. See, that's the, that's the despair. But it, it can work the other way. If you look at people who have less than you do, and you just step over them on the sidewalk, as they're sitting there in their poverty, you don't even notice them, you don't even see them as a real human being, uh, then guess what? Uh, you're impressed with yourself because you're finding you're tying your significance uh, to your bank balance. Don't do that, James says. There's this video going around. I don't know if you, any of you saw this. I caught this on uh, Facebook this week. It's a guy who's pretending to be homeless and, and panhandling on the streets of L.A. So he's sitting on the sidewalk, and he has the typical cardboard sign, and it says, Nobody ever became poor by giving. Which, actually, I just love that line. And, but the twist is, that instead of asking people for money, he's asking if he can give people money. It's kind of surprising. So they show people walking by, and the reaction is priceless. So many of the people just get angry on him. In fact, one of the guys is walking by in a nice suit, and he looks at him, he goes, I don't need your money. I don't need your money. Who do you think I am? He says, I could buy and sell you. Throws the dollar on the ground and walks off. I thought, are you serious? Why does he do that? Why does he get all of a sudden so upset on a beautiful, sunny LA day? Well, it's because he's tied his significance to money. And here's a guy who he thinks is insignificant. He feels superior. And if this guy offers him something, it's the suggestion that you have a need and that therefore you're less significant than somebody who's homeless. It's very offensive to him. Well, we may not all react that. I hope none of us would react that way. But there is a way in which we think, if I just had a little bit more, I'd be more significant. Well, what about the rich? This is a different kind of a trial. If the poor teach us that we'll never find significance in money, the rich teach us we will never find security in money. Now, you hear James say this is a trial to be wealthy, and you go, well, I wouldn't mind that trial, frankly. Uh, But that's, I think, because we don't even see how pernicious, how risky it is. And I don't even think James's readers see it. And so notice that James will use only one statement for the poor. He'll use five statements for the rich. Because this is the kind of trial you don't even know you're in when you're in it. You have more money than you actually need. Most of us are not aware that that could be our situation. It's just hard to see. And again, the trial isn't in having more money than you need. It's not in being rich. It's in this case thinking that your money can make you safe. He talks about the flowers. Verse 10, The rich, uh, let them be boastful in being brought low, because the rich will disappear like a flower in the field. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the field. In Palestine, uh, wildfires didn't last very long. It's really hot, rocky, dry soil. And so there are some species of flowers that would come up and bloom in the early morning when it's cool and there's mist. And then by late afternoon, they've already gone. They're dead. The grass doesn't stay green very long. So the implication is you can be busy with your life, accumulating stuff, and you look great. Everyone's going, wow, look at that person. They really have, they've got a financially all together. You know, you get the best food, you get the best personal trainer, you get the best, uh, places to go, uh, exercise and vacation, you got the biggest houses, the safest, uh, gardens, all this, um, and yet one day, in the middle of all that boom, it all withers and you're gone. It does not keep you secure. There's a proverb that'd be worth writing down and reading later. Proverbs 18:11 says this: the wealth of the rich is their strong city. In their imagination, it is like a high, high wall. The wealth of the rich is in their strong city, is, is their strong city. In their imagination, it is like a high wall. What he's saying is. Um, you and I know that our, our lives are risky and vulnerable, and so we think if we can get more money, we could prevent the exigencies of life from touching us. The more wealth we have, the safer we think we are. And James goes, that's just mythology. You can never get that wall high enough. The sun's just going to come right over and wither you. Life is short, and, m- and money doesn't have much to do with that. So here there's desire. This is, again, that template of temptation, the desire. I want to buy something. But when you realize then you have more money than you need, what's the sin? Pride. It's that you can make yourself secure. And so here the lesson, again, is don't look to money for your security. When I was just out of college as a young adult, one of my best friends was a man from India, actually, named Daleep. He was a little bit older than I was, and Deleep had done very, very well financially as a young man. It was fun to visit Washington, D.C. He would take me out to all these fancy restaurants and pick up the bill. Loved Uh And Dalip uh, had a PhD in economics from Harvard University. He built custom homes for the wealthy uh, around D.C. In fact, he introduced me to a secretary of state for whom he was building a home at the time. Um, but what I love about Dalip is not that he was wealthy. It was that he knew he, he wasn't secured by that wealth because he constantly would say to me, George, I came from India with one shirt on my back and someday I'll leave the same way. And he he reminded himself of that. This is not my security, this money. And the interesting thing is, as it happened, Dalip did, he he, he went belly up, went bankrupt, and he also had severe medical problems. I think he smoked too much. uh, And he died. He he never did go back to India uh, to live, but he went to heaven uh, because Jesus is his security. And he's safe now. Andy Stanley asked this question. I want you to wrestle with this for a second. Listen to this. How much money would you need to secure your future against all imaginable eventualities? I want you to be thinking about a number. What do you think? I mean, really think about a number here. How much money do you think you would need to secure your future against all imaginable eventualities? Not just you, but let's say your family, your grandchildren. What's that number? I can tell you the answer to that question. It's more than you have. There's nobody in the room who's thinking of what they have right now. Every single no matter how much you have, you think you need more than you have. And this is what keeps us so busy in life, trying to accumulate more and more and more to build this wall. But you know what? No one has ever built that wall high enough. There is no high enough. There is no wall in money. Benjamin Franklin uh, said that he that is of the opinion money will do everything may well be suspected of doing everything for money. Don't look for money for security. So, what do we do? We do actually find ourselves looking f- to money for significance and security, and it doesn't work well. It's not working well, so what do we do? Well, there was a man who wrote a letter to the IRS. He said, I'm having trouble sleeping at night. Uh, I've not been honest with my taxes. I have understated my income. Please find and close check for $150. And if I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest. Right? <laughs> James has a better idea. Uh, here's how James puts it in a word. This is the invitation. It's to boast. Did you see that in verse 9? This is the primary imperative, uh, uh, the great command of this text is to boast. Let the believer who is lowly boast in being raised up and the rich boast in being brought low. You say boasting. Is that a good thing? I thought we weren't supposed to boast. What does that mean? Well, he's talking about a particular kind of boasting. This grows out of ancient warfare. When two armies would uh, engage one another, they would square off and line up. And before the fighting began, there would be what you and I would call trash talk. This was ancient psyops, basically. they try to intimidate the other side and encourage their side by boasting. They would declare their confidence. We got the big guy. We got more guys. We got better weapons. And then they'd come back and, and they'd do that. Again, what they're trying to do is, is uh, intimidate the, the opponent and encourage and embolden their own side. It's called boasting. And this is what James says. In the midst of the financial uncertainties of life, I want you to boast. But boast. Well, he's borrowing this from Jeremiah 9, verse 23 and 24. Listen to this. Thus says the Lord, do not let the wealthy boast in their wealth, but let those who boast boast in this, that they understand and know me, that I am the Lord. I act with steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight. That's what he's saying. Boast in the Lord. Boast in me. Boast that you know me, the Lord says, not in your wealth. You know what? I am so committed to you. I will always act in steadfast love and in justice and in righteousness. These are my character qualities in heaven, and I am going to act on your behalf in earth. Boast in me. Boast in that you got that. This is where you find your significance and your security. Can you imagine having any more significance than knowing God became a human being Gave his only begotten son for you. That's how much you're worth. That's significant. Can you imagine having any more security than knowing that if God gave you his son, as the Apostle Paul argues, wouldn't he give you everything else? He's obviously not holding back f- from you. That's security. The God of the universe, the Creator, James is not so much thinking about Jesus' words here, how he honored the poor, how he challenged the rich. Uh, He's thinking about his work. In the first century, the Jewish people began to think about their lives in financial terms. You know this, if you think about the Lord's Prayer, they began to think about their sin as a form of debt to God. Here's God, he's holy and has infinite value. And as we turn away from him, uh, we come into debt. Uh, before him, increasingly, Romans six twenty three says the wages of sin is death. This is the penalty for sin, death, physical, spiritual death, separation from God, the wages of sin. This is the fine. Uh, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's imagine you're in Finland and you know you see the flashing lights behind you and the police officers pull you over. You roll down your window and they say, I'm going to have to fine you. Because you've broken the law, but this time it's not the laws of Finland, it's the laws of God. And you could just flip it around and say, um, well, let's say you make $58,000 a year. And I want to say, it's a $7 million fine. Right? It's death. It's, it's, it's a fine that's so great, you cannot pay it. I cannot pay it. Never be able to work off that debt. And then someone comes along and says, I will pay that for you. Because I love you. That's what God has done in Jesus Christ for us. He has given his life. He has he who is rich, the Bible says, became poor for our sakes, poured out his life in absolute poverty so that we could be rich in Jesus Christ. So, what does this have to do with financial happiness? Well, Jesus says, uh, James says to boast in two ways. In verse 9, first he addresses himself to the lowly, to the poor. And he says, boast in being raised up, because that's what Jesus does. He elevates the poor. Don't despair. You are not spiritually poor. No matter what you have in your pocket or in your bank account, you are never spiritually poor. Jesus has elevated you to the right hand of the Father Almighty. You have so much significance, you can't even imagine it. And then he says to the rich in verse 10, the verb carries forward, boast in being brought low. Don't be proud. You're not spiritually rich. You know how Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit? I like the way Tim Keller says it. Most of us in America see ourselves more as middle class in spirit. It's kind of an interesting interesting thought, middle class in spirit. We'll admit we're not perfect, but we kind of think God owes us at least a little bit. he, he's obligated in some way uh, to answer our prayers or to bless our lives or something like that. But No, you know what? When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you don't bring him your resources. You don't bring any resources at all. You come empty-handed to the cross in absolute surrender, and you say, I need a Savior. Thank you. So all of us are made to be humble before the grace of Jesus Christ. This is one of the beauty. And then he said, let me elevate you. So, the poor in spirit actually is, is, is what the rich are supposed to experience as well. But, but we experience humility there. Significance and security in Jesus now. This Christmas, our family was skiing and we were in a resort town and there's nothing for me like a resort town to make me feel poor. All this stuff I can't buy. But, um, and we were talking with somebody who was t- talking about a, a phrase that I'm not that familiar with. Trust fund babies. This guy lived in the town. Apparently, a trust fund baby is somebody who just lives in town because their mom or dad uh, did all the work, died, and left them all this money. And so now they just ski you know, on the hard work of their parents. They don't even have a job themselves. Trust fund babies. And the guy was saying, but you know, as followers of Jesus, even though we look negatively down on trust fund babies, we ought to all see ourselves that way. Because after all, what's a Christian except, except somebody who lives off the wealth of somebody who's died? Right, Jesus has all wealth in eternity. He's died to make us rich. And so he said, we should walk around going, man, you have no idea what significance and security I have. My life is now abundant with the grace of Jesus Christ, with the love of Jesus Christ, with the peace of Jesus Christ, with the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We had to hold our heads high, no matter what we have in our wallets. I love that thought. Boast in the Lord. So what does that look like with our money? How do we practically boast in the Lord with our money? James would want us to wrestle with this, and I have more questions than answers, but here's what I've come to this week. First of all, two things. First of all, let the money reflect the significance that Jesus brings to your life. Let your money reflect not despair, but hope. I mean, if if this is all there is in this life then go ahead and use your money however you want please yourself but if your life is really if you're really meant for significance this idea of a coming kingdom and a real king it implicates you all that you are, including your financial life. And so what I want to do is I want to get to know this king and this kingdom and think, what's the impact of my life going to be and how can I invest my finances in that kingdom? So the ways that I spend and give and save ought to reflect the priorities of this significance. Right? And um, it'll look different for different people. But what I would suggest for all of us is we ought to have a plan. If we want to live with financial significance, we've to plan that. Have a, some kind of a budget and, and, and be intentional prayerful about what we do with our finances. So let the money reflect the significance that Jesus gives us. And the other thing is let the money reflect that the, of the security of your life. Don't live with pride, but with, live with financial humility. And I think for most of us in America, that means we can live on less. We can simplify our lives. And because we meet Jesus in our need, not in our resource, at the foot of the cross, I think we're led to be more compassionate. Those of us who have more than we need are humbled. We're brought low. We don't need to elevate ourselves. Jesus does that, but we can bring ourselves low. And I think that means we have a special affinity for people in need, and we can use our money, whether, again, we're spending or giving or saving, uh, for for needs. There was a... uh A story I heard just this week, a woman who works for a nonprofit uh, got a phone call from a man who said he'd come to faith in Jesus and he wanted to make a large donation, but he didn't know how to do it. So she said, well, I'm going down to Central America. Why don't you come along with me on this trip? And they went down there and she showed him all kinds of projects down in Central America that were improving people's lives. Everywhere they went, he would see something and say, oh, I could fix that. The plumbing was a problem in one area. He said, oh, I could fix that. And there was a school that had a leaky roof. And he said, oh, I can fix that. And after a while, it got kind of annoying. And the woman said, look, look, listen. On this trip, I just want you to listen. I just want you to see what you see and listen mostly to Jesus. Let him tell you what he wants you to do with your money, okay? So he starts doing this. They come back, and she says, I'm actually going to refer you to another agency because I think what you're most interested in is money. Uh, I mean, is is, uh, water. So he gets uh, in touch with those people. Days later, she gets this phone call, and this guy calls back. He is breathless with enthusiasm and joy. And he says, I just want to tell you, I made the largest donation of my life, and I want to thank you. He actually gave a million dollars. He thought to himself, I can never do that. I could never do that. And he said, But I did. Jesus was the one leading me to do that. And I realize now I've never been happier in my life. I uh, have wanted to do something like this all my life, and now I have done it. And this is the beatitude. See, this is the blessing. This is the happiness that James is talking about. Well, I want to close with uh, another set of benedictions. that I've also uh, written. But these offer a different proposal, a counterculture. What if it would be that we would live this way? Blessed are the grateful, for they shall joyfully live within their means, the grateful. Blessed are you when you refuse a promotion, for you shall know your family members better. Blessed are you who provide for your parents, for you shall share the honor that belongs to the elderly. Blessed are you when you pay for experiences, for your memories shall outlast your stuff. Blessed are you when you share with the poor, for you shall see the face of Jesus in theirs. Blessed are you when you risk capital to launch a social venture, for the world shall be a better place. Blessed are you when you simplify, for you will enjoy more of life. Blessed are you when you give by faith, for you will see... The abundance of God. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you so much for giving us so much. You have withheld nothing that we need. And it is a, such a privilege and a joy when we learn to find our significance and our security in your life, Jesus Christ. Would you lead us forward? Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit and help us to listen we wrestle with these questions. Lead us, change us, transform us that we might experience this same blessing. We pray in Jesus' name and we pray, Jesus, that you'll get all the glory. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301 extension 117.